We are at the beginning of Perak Hay. The Perakimel and Dala dealt with the crossing of the, of the Yardin, of the Jordan River by the Jews, the great miracle that Hashem made for Yeshua and the Jewish people. That ended at the end of Perak Dalad. Perak Hay begins a new narrative, the story of the, the mass circumcision, the mass circumcision at Gilgal, at the place that was called Givas Aralos. Uh, it was obviously called that based on the, 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 this epic event that occurred here, this mass brismila of the whole Klai Yisrael. But the, begin- the, parakeh, the beginning of Parakeh deals with this mass brismila that occurred after they crossed the Yardin at Gilgal. We, we, began, we began in our previous session, we, we, we began the story, we read just the first couple of Sukkim in, in, Bay, in, in, in Pasuk Bays that introduces the, the story of the Mila. So Perikei, Pasuk Bays, it says, amar Hashem, el charvos turim. Hashem spoke to Yeshua, he instructed him, make charvos turim, make sharp swords, sharp knives. V'shuv molos p'nei Yisrael shenis, and then v'shuv, v'shuv means again, molos p'nei Yisrael, circumcise the Jewish, pe- the Jewish people, shenis, uh, do that again. We discussed last time that there are a number of different explanations in the commentaries, a number of different explanations for the words v'shuv, again, and shenis, a second time. What does again mean? What does the second time mean? Mila typically is done once per person. What, what exactly does v'shuv and shenis mean? So we, we, we mentioned a number of different explanations. The Radak said v'shuv means keep doing it, keep going around and around the encampment, do everyone to keep going v'shuv, v'shuv, redouble your efforts to just... Uh, <coughs> cover the whole people. That it, it doesn't mean twice, it means again and again, just keep doing it, keep doing it. We mentioned other explanations, we mentioned that this was a mass brismila, that there had not been brismila in the midbar, that's something we'll return to later today. But we mentioned that this was a mass brismila, and that there was one previous mass brismila in Klal Yisrael's history, and that was on the eve of the Exodus, the night that they left, the night they left Egypt. There was also a mass brismila done, and this was the second monumental, large-scale mass brismila. Sudas David brings that shot. He said that that Belal Mitzrayim, the night they left Egypt, there was also a mass brismila. He attributes that to Chazal. There is a Rashi says again that this was the Rashi also brings this shot that this was the second mass brismila. And uh, again, Rashi brings the midrash, which we'll return to later. That they had not done mila in the midbar. That's something we'll return to a little bit later. Rashi also brings another pshat from the Gemara, which we did not discuss last week, last time. Rashi says, "Rabbeinu Amru." That another pshat of the midrash of Chazal and the Agada. Rabbeinu Amru shenis zuprias mila klonitnol avramavinu. Shenis, according to this understanding, means there was a second dimension of the Mila, a second aspect of Mila. I said, half jokingly, you can only do Mila once, so it's not totally true. Mila actually has a couple of stages, a couple of components, and Mila, Mila is done in two phases, has two aspects to it, and Rashi, Rashi brings this Midrash that says that Priya, Priya is part, we'll discuss what Priya is in a moment, Priya is part of the mitzvah of Mila, it was not given to Avraham at Sinai, and this was a new dimension of Mila, which, was, which is being discussed over here. This is a Gemara, the Talmud Bavli in Maseches Yuvamas. The Gemara says, the Gemara says, Amar Rav Bar Yitzchak, Yuvamas Daf Ayin Aleph Amin Beis, Amar Rav Bar Yitzchak, Amar Rav, Lo Nitna Priya, Priyas Mila, Lavram Avinu. 
the, the, the portion of Mila that's called Priya, we'll discuss what that is in a moment, was not given to Avram Avinu. Was not, that the first mention of Mila in the Torah, of course, is in Parshas, it's in Parshas Lechlecha, the end of Parshas Lechlecha, God commands Abraham to perform Mila on himself, on, on his children, on his, his household, and so on. And that takes us into Vayera, that, that, uh, that, that, uh, that Avram was sitting Kichom Hayom, he was recovering from the Mila, according to the Midrash. But the, the, the first main discussion of Mila is in Parshas Lechlecha, where Avram is commanded, and he, the Torah relates that he faithfully obeyed the commandment to, to circumcise himself and... Yishmael, Yitzchak wasn't born yet, so Yitzchak wasn't circumcised until Pashas Ve'era. He wasn't alive. He wasn't there yet. He wasn't born. The announcement of his birth is what begins Pashas Ve'era. But he, but he circumcised himself, Yishmael, all his, all his servants, all his household. So in, at, at that story, at, at that episode, the, the Gemara is telling us the basic Mila was commanded. Priyas Mila, something called Priya, was not commanded yet. And the source is Arpasuk. Ba'esahi, Amar Hashem al Yoshua, Zelachachavos Turim. And do it, uh, and do it, Shainus. So th- th- this was a this was a new commandment that wasn't uh, that that wasn't yet given to that wasn't yet given to Avraham Avinu. The Gemara says, "Who said maybe Shainus just means maybe Veshuv just means the, the, the new go to, go circumcise the people who uh, who, who didn't have Mila because they were born after they left Egypt." So why does it say Shuv? So the, the word shuv, for the, the, the language shuv implies it wasn't just a mila for those who never had the benefit of mila. Shuv means it was an extra dimension of mila, the dimension of, prila, of priya. So, that, and it's ma'akev, the Gemara says. The, it, it's ma'akev, the Gemara says. Good. So, what is priya? So I, I, I've always I, I don't have a great uh, a great head for anatomy. It's, I, it's hard for me to visualize exactly what these things look like. I can guess you can watch uh, videos and look at pictures, a little graphic. But basically, so Mila is the, Mila is the removal of the foreskin. The foreskin is a piece of skin that in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a human male he's born with a piece of skin that extends past the shaft of the organ and extends up to the tip, the glands, it covers the glands. The Mila, the basic Mila is you take a knife, you cut that skin off, you remo- that skin is called the Arla, you remove it, it's discarded, that's Mila. But even after you remove that skin, apparently, there's, there's other tissue that covers the glands, that covers the head of the organ, there, there, there's another layer of soft skin, that's not as easily just simply removed with one cut of a knife. To remove that, that, that that's a more elaborate procedure. It used to be done with a fingernail. It used to be made slits in it. Then it would be pulled back. Priya means pulling back. So there, there, there's another layer, of some kind of other layer of tissue and skin that covers the head of the organ. And removing that is a more involved and more, and more complex procedure. And that is called Priya. Priya is the, the total removal, the total peel, remo- cutting and removing and uncovering of the head of the organ. That is a is a second more and more involved stage of bris mila. Today we always do it. Today any any religious bris, I think even even a, even a non-religious, even an ordinary medical circumcision removes all of it. That, that's typically all part of the the mila today. But according to the Gemara, the, the in halacha these are two separate components of mila. The basic priya is a simple knife cutting removal of the foreskin, and priya is removal of more tissue, and that is uh, today it's considered an integral part of mila. But according to the Gemara, according to this opinion in the Gemara, this was not part of the original mitzvah to uh, given to Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu was just commanded in basic mila, and the and the mitzvah of priya, the mitzvah of priya was commanded, and and, and the, the mitzvah of priya was what was what was given to the was was what was given here to mentioned here in the pasuk of Veshuv Molas Yisrael of Veshuv 
of Moloch Yisrael Shemus. What happened to the rule that that Nevi'im that that Nevi'im, that Nevi'im are not allowed to add mitzvahs to the Torah? We know that we know that the we know that a Navi is not allowed to add anything to the Torah. We, we have a fundamental belief that all of Torah is misinai. That we, we do have mitzvahs drabanan. We know, of course, that the rabbis added mitzvahs later. We have Nerchanika. We recently did, and we have Purim, and we have the Tilas Yadayim. A lot of Hilcha Shabbos is drabanan. We obviously have a, uh, a dimension of mitzvahs drabanan, but but in general, when a halacha is represented as being part of the the mitzvah itself, then not simply a rabbinic addition that that that, that cannot be added by later neviim. All the Torah itself, all the rights of the Torah, have to come have to come from. Uh, that that, that 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 has to come from Sinai itself. So the so so the the Mefarshim suggests that that was that that, that that this was something that was Allah Moshim Sinai, and it was just that this was just that this was this is a Halach Moshim Sinai that 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 Yoshua that Yoshua alluded to in the pasuk. He mentioned it, 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 the, the pasuk itself in Parshas Lech in Parshas Lech Lecha doesn't mention anything about Priya. Priya is mentioned for the first time in uh, alluded to for the first time in this pasuk. So the, so so we say that uh, it wasn't given to Avram. It doesn't mean Yeshua added to the Torah. Yeshua is not allowed to add to the Torah. It means it means that that that, that it was first alluded to in the Torah in this pasuk. There the, is a rationale for thinking of a bris as like two separate, you know. Yeah, well, let, let, well, let's discuss that in a second. We'll get to get to that in a second. The Radak says Yeshmei Razal Shamru that Shainis is going on the Priya. The Priya was not given to Avram Avinu. But uh, the Radak says, The Gemara itself winds up rejecting this. And they said that Shainis refers to, Shainis refers to, uh, to other tissue, to the, that, the, the, that the, the, again, even before we get to the Priya, the, 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 there's the basic foreskin, and then again, I don't have a good visualization of what these things are, but the, there's other tissue that's supposed to be removed as well. There are, there's ancillary tissue, secondary tissue that's, that's near the, the foreskin itself. The, those are called tzitzin, extra, extra bits of tissue, some of them are called tzitzim ma'akvinas amila. Some are considered integral enough that they are ma'akiv the mila. Some are considered tzitzim she'en ma'akvinas amila. Even today, apparently, again, I don't have a real sense of the anatomy, but even today, different ma'alim cut uh, different amounts of the skin, different amounts of tissue. Different ma'alim have different traditions and different customs when... Uh, when, uh, when, 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 when when my baby had a bris mila, I took him to another mall afterwards to just review it and make sure he, I did it out of town. So I, went, I had to have the mila just checked to make sure it was healing properly. I took him to a local mall here. The mall said something like, uh, uh, oh, you know, he, he, he cut off a lot or something, but it's fine. You know, he'll, he'll be okay or something like that. But yeah, so there, apparently there are, there are different amounts for how much mall cut off. But so there are different traditions about exactly what's called the, the Arla, what's called the Titan Ma'akvin, the Titan Shein Ma'akvin. But the the Radak says so the Gemara the Gemara the Gemara's initial stage was that that the the shuv, the shuv and the shenis is referring to is referring to the the priya which which was not given to Avram Avinu and then the and then the and, but then he says that, that this is Nidcha and the Gemara that the Gemara gives a different explanation that it refers to teaching of and Mila. Tosha says Tosha says what I said before about the. I try to remember who said that about the uh, Navi can't add to the Torah. Tosu said that Vim Tomar Priya ad Yoshua. If it's really true that the mitzvah of Priya wasn't given until Yoshua, the, I'm sorry. Then Hechigamrina mine. How can you derive halachas from Sukkim and Yoshua? It says the Eila mitzvah is ain't ever a shayel chadish. Dover meata. 
we had this earlier in Yeshua itself, the rule that a Navi is not allowed to add to the Torah. We had that the, the Gemara brings that there were certain, back in the beginning of Yeshua, it says there were certain halachas that were forgotten, Klai Yisrael forgot during the Avelis of Moshe, during the, the trauma and the national distress at the loss of Moshe Rabbeinu. They forgot certain halachas, and Yeshua or other figures of that time were able to restore those halachas. According to one opinion of the Gemara, it was via Nevuah, they restored the halacha. The Gemara says, I can't be. Ain't Navi Roshay Lachadish, that a Navi can't, the Lakam Navi Israel Kamosha Od, that the Navi, that Moshe is, the, Moshe is the unique Navi who transmitted the Torah. No Torah comes through any other Navi, no Navi can add to the Torah. So the Mar says that, they, they had, that, that the, you have to say that they, that they were able to restore them through Pilpul, through Kalvachomer, through the, so the, the Gemara in other places, in Megillah, the Gemara talks about, at one point the Gemara wants to say that certain of the forms of the letters, the, 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 the Sophie letters, Minatspach, the, the Mem Sophist, the square Mem, and the, the, the long Nun for the Nun Sophist, the, the final Nun, the, the, the different forms of the letters that appear at the end of words, the Gemara suggests that those were not originally given to us as the Lashon Kodesh of Sinai, that those were added later by Nevi'im. Mar says it can't be. Nevi'im can't add anything to the Torah. Nevi'im can't change the Torah. Nevi'im can't add to the Torah. We have a fundamental rule that Nevi'im cannot, the Torah is given to, via Moshe and only via Moshe, only at Sinai. And therefore you have to say that, the, that, they were, that they were, they, these are all Sinaitics, that these are all came from Sinai. So Tosis asks, so what's the deal here? How can we say that Priya is derived from Tukim in, Ye- in Yeshua? So Tosis says, like I said before, it's Allah Lamoshim Sinai, Yeshua Asmachayakra. It was an oral tradition. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't mentioned in Pashas Lechlecha, so we don't have a, pus- a passing in the Torah that, that alludes to it. It was given at Sinai, and it was an oral tradition without any, without any basis in the text. Yeshua alluded to it by when Yeshua, when they, when they wrote the Navi Yeshua and they wrote Peshuv and Shainis, they alluded to Prius, they alluded to this oral tradition. But it was an oral tradition based on something that was given at Sinai. This is what we call Halachim Sinai, part of Torah Shabal Peh, that doesn't have any basis in the text. Many parts of Torah Shabal Peh have different types of allusions in the biblical text, like Prius Hadar means an Astra. So obviously, the Rambam explains. That the Sukkim themselves might not be so clear that it's an asterisk, but we have an oral tradition that tells us it was an asterisk. And Chazal brought rushes how the words Priyetadar and how that deludes to asterisk. It's Tameto Periyoshave, or it's beautiful like an asterisk. So there, there are different explanations, but there is an, an allusion to the biblical text itself, even if it's not explicit. Certain halachas have zero, absolutely zero, zero mention or even allusion in the text. For example, tefillin. The, the idea that you wear tefillin is mentioned, we say it in Kriyashma every day. That you tie them on your hands and you put them on between your eyes, that's in the text. But the halachas of tefillin, black, that the tefillin have to be black and square. The, a, lot of the, a lot of the key fundamental halachas of tefillin have absolutely zero mention of the text, and that's how those are Allah Halachim Sinai. So here also Tosa says Priya, the Gemara means to say that Priya was a Halachim Halachim Sinai, and that it was not mentioned in Lech Lecha, it was not mentioned anywhere else in Torah, talks about Mila. It's first alluded to in Yeshua. Yoshua wrote in Asmachta that uh, there's an Asmachta that that alludes to Priya. This idea that that that, that Allah Halachim Sinai can sometimes be alluded to in the Pasuk, the Tosus is echoing a Gemara in Zvachim. The, the, the Gemara in Zvachim is learning out certain Halachas of Kohanim. The, the idea that they that, that certain rules of how they can do the avoda, the, the requirements how to do the avoda properly, the Gemara derives it from Psukim and Yecheskel. So the Gemara says, Ad Yecheskel man amra. Until Yecheskel came along, where did this halacha come from? And the Raman explains what the Gemara means to say is, Nevi'im can't add to the Torah, so if this is a real Dindar Isa, then it has to have a source before Yecheskel. 
So the Gemara says, Gemara Gemir Lehu, it was an oral tradition. They, they, they taught it, they learned it, Balteh. Vasi Yecheskel, Vasmechayakra. Yecheskel came along and he wrote a Pasuk that mentioned these halachas. So that sometimes happens. Sometimes we have a halacha which is purely oral, purely Tarash Balteh, until a Navi comes along and writes down the halacha or an allusion to the halacha. Other times, the Chumash itself has, a, has an allusion, either explicit or less explicit. But either way, the Navi can't add to the Torah. Yes, you were saying? What I guess that, that, that would this explanation would be that the, very, the previous circumcision before the Exodus, they didn't do a prayer. That's that a good happened in, you know, right. So that, that's a good question. So, so the question is, were they actually doing priya? Was priya part of Rasmila, or did they do the simpler mila? Of the of the, of the just the foreskin itself, so that also is 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 partially alluded to by Tosis. When Tosis discusses Mila, how it was done in pre pre Harsinai times, Tosis says Mikalmakom Avraham Paramila. So even though the Gemara says Priya Avram was not commanded to do Priya, Avram did do Priya, and Avram Avinu, and he says because Kedar Bereshis Rabbah, Tosis brings a midrash that. That the it's also a gemara, it's a gemara in Bavli and Yoma. The 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 midrash, the, the Agada says, "Tafilu eruv tafshilin kiim." Avram did all the dikduke mitzvahs, even dinei drabana, like eruv tafshilin that we make on a yontif that falls out on erev Shabbos. Avram did everything. Certainly, he wasn't commanded eruv tafshilin. That was not that was a rabbinic ordinance that wasn't instituted till much later. So there is a there is a, there is a tradition that we have that that the, that the Avram maybe maybe some of the other patriarchs as well but in particular Avram kept all the mitzvahs even drabanans he certainly would have kept priya even if priya was commanded much later at Harsinai or Yeshua's time even even so it's not worse than Eruv Tafshilin so Avram would have done that but it means that the commandment the the, the, the explicit commandment to Avram didn't include priya so Avram did it does that mean that the later Jews did it so that is actually an interesting question because the there, 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 the, 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 again, the midrash says Avram did the Avram kept the whole Torah. It's not clear if even his sons, if Yitzchak and Yaakov, it's not, it's not so clear if they kept the whole Torah. There are there are some, some some assume that they kept the Torah as well. Even if they did, it's not clear if the Shvatim, the the twelve tribes, or the, or the Jews in Egypt kept the whole Torah. It's far from clear that uh, how much of the Torah was kept before they finally got it formally in a binding fashion at Harsinai. So I don't know. So I, I don't know. According to this, 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 this sheet on the Gemara, I don't actually know whether the Mila that they did on the eve of the Exodus, would that have included pre or not? I don't know. So that's an interesting question. Now, now, now the question is, what is this idea that Mila has two components and one of them came later? What, what is the significance of that? Why was it done like that? What does it mean? So this is speculation. This is something that we don't know for sure. But the, 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 there's a very interesting historical, historical point that Jews at certain periods in history resented being those who were starting to assimilate, the Hellenizers in the time of Hanukkah. There were Jews who, who, who were embarrassed, who, who were embarrassed at being Jewish, who were embarrassed at being circumcised. Jews occasionally, the, those who were not faithful to the tradition, occasionally would do something called uh, there, are fan- there are fancy uh, Greek or Latin words for it, but uh, Chazal call it Moshe uh, Karlasen. There was some method of there was some method of uh, manipulating the, the tissue, manipulating whatever skin was left to disguise the brismila to, to somehow to somehow uh, make oneself look as though one did not have a brismila. Obviously, whatever's cut off without a, without tissue grafting, you can't you just you can't really make it grow back. 
but apparently there are some methods. Uh, there are some methods of uh, manipulating the organ, manipulating the skin over there, to make it look at least somewhat as if a person, as if a person does, as if as if a person does not have a brismila. This gemara itself, this gemara Nivamas has an extended discussion about different laws of brismila. The gemara, the gemara at one point mentioned something something called mashuk, someone who is in a state called mashuk. Mashuk, mashuk means to extend or to pull. It's a, so the Rashi says, what is a mashuch? A mashuch is a mahul, someone who had a proper brismila. His arla became pulled up and began to cover that tara again. Again, exactly what that means is not clear. If the arla was cut off, how is it being pulled up? There's nothing left to be pulled. It's not exactly clear what this is. But again, and, and I admit that I'm pretty, I'm pretty weak on the anatomy, and I, and I did not have a chance to, to research this fully. But apparently, especially, it's much easier to do this if you haven't actually had Priya. If you've just had Mila, you just had the basic foreskin removed, and you still have some tissue left, it is much easier to manipulate the remaining tissue somehow to make it look, to disguise the fact that you've had a bris Mila. In, uh, if you've actually had the more extensive and more, more invasive procedure of Priya, it is actually much harder, I don't know if it's possible, but it's much harder to... Uh, much harder to, uh, to disguise the Mila by being Moshe Karlasso. Chazal had a very dim view of those who were Moshe Karlasso. It was considered a betrayal of the bris. It was considered a... There are different Gemaras that talk about the, how terrible it is to be Moshe Again, the Gemara here might be talking about a natural condition. His, his, his organ just grew in such a way that the Mila became covered up by, by some kind of uh, extension of the skin. But people used to deliberately be Moshe Karlasso in the time of the Greeks, and people wanted to disguise the fact that they had had a bris when they were young. And that, uh, and, and that Chazal had a, had a very, very uh, negative view toward it. So, so, so there are some scholars who suggest that the institution of Priya was established for that purpose. It was established to make it harder for someone to see Moshe Harla. So even if in principle a Brish should just cut the Arla, because there would be the temptation, the, the, because there was the habit of people being Moshe Harlasam, that, that the, the Priya was instituted as a, uh, as a means of preventing such behavior. Now, scholars who claim that Priya was added much later are willing to say this. We believe, again, we believe Priya was added at Sinai. We believe, even if it wasn't mentioned in Hashish Lech Lecha, and even though it's not mentioned explicitly in Tarish Shabbat we believe that Torah was ad, that Priya is a, as far as I know, it's pretty well accepted that Priya is a Din Daraisa, not a rabbinic enactment that happened later. Again, whenever somebody claims that a certain Din is Drabanan, whether it's a historian who claims that it was added later, or it's not inherently uh, heretical or anti-Torah. We do have Dinim Drabanan. We do have many Dinim in the Torah that were added later. There are the obvious ones you mentioned earlier, like Hanukkah and Purim, which are obviously added later. They were added based on historical events that occurred later. And then there are even, like we said, a much of Hilcha is uh, the practical Shabbos observance that we have. A great deal of what we don't do on Shabbos is rabbinic. We don't open our store on Shabbos. Midaraisa, you can run a store on Shabbos. According to many opinions, Midaraisa, there's nothing wrong. As long as you're not writing, in Midaraisa, buying and selling is rabbinic, and uh, the history is rabbinic. Uh, handling money is, is rabbinic. Most of these, many of, many of what constitutes uh, modern Shabbos observance is rabbinic. Now, there, there is a Ramban who claims, I think, that uh, that, that there really is Daraisa. Even, even, even though none of the 39 malachas are violated by buying and selling and handling money, there is a Ramban who claims that there's also a catch-all, a catch-all idea of Shabbos and of rest on Shabbos. 
which obligates you beyond the specific technical categories of the 39 prohibited categories of work, there is a general biblical imperative to act in a uh, way consistent with the holiness of the Sabbath, and that might be derisive. But the Pashtus is in handling money is muktzah, muktzah is drabana, handling uh, buying and selling is rabbinic. It's a prohibition. You might you might wind up writing things down. The business transactions inherently lend themselves toward record keeping and accounting and writing and so on. But these are rabbinic institutions, so there's nothing un-Jewish or heretical by pointing out that many aspects of religious practice that we have today are rabbinic. We don't eat, uh, we wait six hours, or according to some communities, one hour or three hours. We wait a certain amount of time between meat and milk. That's rabbinic. Midaraisi, you can't cook the meat and milk together. Midrabanan, you can't can't even eat them at the same meal, and you have to wait between them. That's that's rabbinic. It's uh, chicken and meat. We paskin, most paskin is just drabanan. Midaraisi, it's only meat and milk. There's nothing uh, blasphemous. There's nothing. Uh, there's nothing disrespectful to Judaism about noting that much of modern practical observance is rabbinic and not biblical. Scholars tend to even even things we claim are derisa. The scholars sometimes like to claim we're later additions to the tradition, and some of that already is uh, is problematic because we do have mitzvahs we believe are derisa that the scholars refuse to accept are as ancient as we say they were. So, we are, so Prius Mila, there's actually, it's an entire sefer, it's a small, it's a small sefer, but there's a, there, there's a classic work by one of the Achronim, Rabbi Yisrael Al-Ghazi, I believe his name was. It's a small sefer, it's a few dozen pages. He wrote a sefer called Ara Durabana. The, it's, 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 a, it's a small encyclopedia, alphabetical order, a couple, few hundred entries, I think, where he, he lists numerous dinim that we find in the Gemara and brief analyses of whether they're Durabana or Daraisa. In some cases, it's clear, like Chanukah or Purim, or some, or, or Tilti Dayan, the Gemara tells us is rabbinic. In some cases, it's pretty clear that it's Daraisa. And lots of cases, it's not clear. Lots of cases, the Gemara just tells you a halacha and doesn't tell you if it's rabbinic or Daraisa. So the Arad Rabbana wrote an entire little sefer analyzing whether various rules and various dinim and various mitzvahs in the Gemara are Rabbana or Daraisa. Yes? Variation. What right. Moalim do, which you mentioned before. Is that in the Priya section? So is that is that what varies one from the other? Um, I mentioned earlier that Moalim cut different amounts of tissue. The question was, is that only in the Priya component of Mila, or is that even in the Mila itself? I honestly have to admit I do not know. I'm not familiar enough with uh, with the different traditions. Could be that one time they weren't cutting as much. That, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So you find the same thing, for example, in the laws of Shita. So there, 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 there are, I'm learning this now in the Kolo. So we, there, there are elaborate pages, hundreds and thousands of pages of, uh, of, of halacha about uh, how to do the Shita itself is relatively straightforward. It's not that much variation in, 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 you know, in, in, in what you have to do, but it helps the trefas, what makes an animal a trefa, the removal of the forbidden fats, the removal of certain other parts of the animal that you need to remove because of blood or other issues. There are vastly different traditions that developed, that developed between Svardim and Ashkenazim, between uh, between, between the Rhineland and Austria, between, the, between, between different groups of Svardim, between Moroccans and Iraqis and Egyptians, between Polish and German. You know, the tradition has developed. Traditions have, certainly things that involve a, a, a practical component which is primarily conveyed through, uh, through mimesis, through imitating uh, your teachers and, your, and, and, and those who train you. Different traditions develop. Different ways of doing things develop, and th- things are done differently. And uh, and yeah, and different differences arise. So, getting back to the priya, 
So you know, again, the question was, you know, what is Priya? You know, why is it a different component? Why Chazal themselves make a big deal out of separating the two components of Mila and Priya? We even, according to one opinion in the Gemara, we even say that the Priya was introduced introduced later. So. I, I, I don't know if it's, if it's consistent with Jewish thought to say that, like the historians say, that Priya was added as a, uh, you know, to forestall this attempt to, to reverse the Mila. Again, the, the historians might say it was added you know, much later in the time of the second base of Mikdash or something. We believe it was added earlier. It goes back to Sinai. I, again, I don't know if that's universally accepted, but you know, the, the Pasha says we believe it goes back to Sinai. But again, it is possible to say that, that Hashem added it at Sinai to forestall a problem of people where people removing their milas. I don't know if this was a problem all the way back then in the time of Sinai or not, and if it would have been added at Matan Torah for that reason. But anyway, it is, a, it is a possibility. We do find even mitzvahs of the Torah were sometimes added as kind of xerus or as a reaction to, uh, to you know, what people might do. So yeah, it's possible to say that, but I, I don't know. Again, it, it, it's speculation. We don't really know, but this is the this is one other approach in Chazal that the, that Priya is uh, is being mentioned for the first time here in, here in this pasuk in in, per- in Perikay pasuk Beis in Yeshua the mitzvah of Priya is being added for the first time, and it's not mentioned anywhere. It's not mentioned anywhere in Pasha's Lechlecha. It's not mentioned in Pasha's Bo, where the Torah talks about Karim Pesach and the Mila that was needed for the Karim Pesach. It's mentioned here. It's mentioned here for the first time. Now pasuk Gimel. We say, So Pasuk Gimel basically reiterates what we had in Pasuk Beis, that Hashem told Yeshua, make sharp, make sharp knives and cut the, and do the mila. Yeshua did so, he made Charvas Turim, and he, he, he cut the milas, he, he did this. It says, El Givas Harelos, it means uh, on this hill, on this mound of the Givas Harelos, literally that means a mound of foreskins. Mepharshim point out that it was uh, obviously it wasn't a coincidence. Uh, he didn't he didn't deliberately look for a place that was called Give Us Arellas because it would have uh, it was apropos. It was called Give Us Arellas because of this because of this incident. They did such a mass Prismila, The place acquired the name of uh, the, the, the place acquired the name of of of, of, of Give Us Arellas. It, it got its name because of this event, obviously. Now then, the, then the psukim say as follows. Psukim dalad and hey say as psukim dalad hey vav say as follows. Or the next through pasuk through pasuk zayin. Psukim, psukim then point out that the Jews in the desert did not have rishmil. The, the, it, it, it's interesting that the, it takes it takes the navi about four psukim to say this, but the navi is uh, remarkably strikingly silent about why why this one. It just says v'zeh hadavar shemral Yoshua. This is the issue. This is what. This is the matter that Yeshua did the bris mila. The reason he didn't have to do bris mila, because kalha mayotzi mitzrayim asacharim kalan shemilchama meisva midrab aderek v'tesim mitzrayim. All the, the people, the whole nation that had, that had left Egypt, the male the male Jews, all the so all the all the men of military age between twenty and sixty, kalan shemilchama meisva midbar aderek v'tesim mitzrayim. They died in the desert on on the way out of Egypt after the after the story of the miraglim. And, the, and again, the Navi reiterates, the people who left Egypt all had brismilas. But however, the Jews who were born in the desert, on the way, they did not have mila. And then the Pasuk reiterates again, the 40 years, for 40 years, the Jews, tra- the Jews traveled in the desert for 40 years. Until all the all the people, the men of military age, the soldiers who had left Egypt had died, and they were punished, of course. 
they were punished uh, for not listening to the word of God. This is a reference to the catastrophe of the Miraglim, of the spies, where they, they didn't listen to God's commandment to trust him and enter Eretz Yisrael, enter Eretz Canaan, so God decreed death of the whole generation. Asher nishpa Hashem lahem, God swore to them, Levilti arosim he would not show them the land, Asher nishpa Hashem lavosim, that he had promised to their ancestors. Losses lenu Eretz, so it's called Mudvash, he would not show, he would not bring them into the land, the, the, the land of milk and honey, that flowed, that flowed, the, the land that flowed with milk and honey that he had promised their ancestors. Sorry to go back. Is there any, is, was there any requirement at the time that body parts should be disposed of in any particular way? What do they do with the leftover Arla? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have an answer for that on the spot. Maybe, maybe in the future we'll... Yeah, they're different now. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we'll get back to that. I don't have anything to say about that today. Maybe another time we'll get back to that. It's a good question. And as Benayim, the Pasuk Zion says, their sons, their descendants, Hakim Tachtam, he, he, he established as the nation instead of them, Osamal Yeshua. They were the ones who Yeshua did Rasmila for. Once again, the Pasuk reiterates, they were all uncircumcised. They had not had Rasmila on the journey, on the way, on the trip through the desert from Egypt to the Promised Land. So we have four Psukim here. We have the Psukim from, from Pasuk Dalad. The Navi reiterates over and over that the men who had left Egypt had been circumcised, the men who were born in the desert were uncircumcised, and this was an entirely different set of people, because all the people who left Egypt died in the Minbar because of God's punishment for the hate of the Miraglim, and now we had an entire generation of men who did not have Rizmila. So the obvious and glaring question is, which we've been discussing, we already discussed last week as well, is why? Why was there no Rizmila of all the men of the desert. What happened here? The, the Navi is mysteriously silent about it. No bris mila of all the men born in the desert, all the boy children born in the desert. The question is why? Why was there no bris mila in the desert? We said before, there was a question whether the Jews kept the Torah back in Egypt, Avram's descendants, but this, is after the, but this was after Matan Torah. The mitzvah of bris mila is one of the 613 commandments. It, it, it's as binding as every other mitzvah of the Torah. So what happened here? Why was there no bris mila being performed in the desert? A very, very perplexing and difficult question. So the Gemara discusses this. The same Gemara in Yavamas we mentioned before discusses this. The Gemara says, Why were the Jews not circumcised in the desert? So the Gemara brings two pshatim. First pshat is that it was the, the rigors of the journey made it difficult or dangerous to do the mila, that you need proper rest and convalescence and, uh, in order to recover from, from the surgery of the mila, and they didn't have that luxury, they were, they were traveling, they were in Spartan conditions in the Midbar, that it was simply dangerous to do, it was simply dangerous to do mila in such a case, so they were forced to postpone the mila, just like today, we postponed, we postponed the mila for any reason to believe that it will be less than, less than ideally safe, even if it's a relatively low risk, if the baby is just unwell, it doesn't have to be you know, 50% chance of death, even if it's a relatively low risk thing, if there are any circumstances that make the Mila higher risk than usual, then we postpone it. So here also, they postponed it for a very long time, for some of them for three years, but they, they postponed the Mila because the rigors of the journey made it difficult. Second shot, the Gemara says, the Bayasema Another explanation, also involving danger, also involving the fact that it was dangerous in the, in the desert. This is something that is a little bit less relatable, though. This is something involving physical, scientific assumptions that uh, maybe we don't share. But the Gemara says, 
the north wind was not blowing. And the Gemara explains the Tanya, they did not have a north wind. Rashi says that the north wind is a mild wind. It's not too hot, it's not too cold. And there, there's some sun. It, it's good for healing, apparently. And the, the north wind are particular, result in particularly good conditions for particularly good conditions for, for healing. They, 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 they did not have a north wind for the 40 years they were in the desert, and therefore, once again, conditions were dangerous. Not, not because of the journey, according to this approach, not because of the rigors of the journey, but because the, the climate, the, the climate conditions were not right for healing from the Brismila, the Tanya, the Gemara brings a Brisa, Kolos and Arbam Shana Shayyishal Bamidbar, throughout the 40 years that the Jews were in the desert, Lonashvalem Rochtfonis, the north wind didn't blow, my time why did it not blow? It seems to be an unusually long time for the north wind not to blow. Either it was a punishment because uh, Rashi says because of the Egel that the North Wind is, uh, is a chesed from Hashem, it's a kindness, and, and, and they don't des- they didn't deserve it because of the they were still in disgrace because of the Egel. I, I might have said Miraglam that was spending forty years in the desert because of the Miraglam. I might have said that it was it was part of the punishment of the Miraglam. Rashi says the Egel. Uh, another pshat It was a technical reason. It, the reason was that the Jews were surrounded by the clouds of glory. The clouds of glory provided protection and uh, security for them. Had there been a north wind, it would have scattered the clouds of glory. Even though it's a mild wind, it would have scattered the clouds. It's a little strange. These clouds apparently were so strong and protective, they could flatten mountains and keep out the enemies. If they were so strong, I'm not sure why they would have been scattered by a wind. But that's how it worked, apparently. That They shared some properties with normal clouds that they could be scattered by winds. And therefore, in order to preserve the clouds of glory, God had to turn the wind off. And uh, so it was a windless, it was cloudy and windless day. And therefore, but, but as, as a side effect of that, there, there was no ruchtsonis. Therefore, it was not safe to do mila. And, uh, and that's why they couldn't do mila. Just, 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 let's just finish the end of this passage in the Gemara. The Gemara says, the, the Gemara says, as a corollary of this, if a day is cloudy, if the day is cloudy, or if there's a particularly strong south wind, but either way, if, 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 for our purposes, we'll focus on the cloudy day. If it's a cloudy day, we don't do brismila, because we just said, anytime there's a cloudy day, that means there's no north wind blowing, because otherwise it would blow away the clouds. If the north wind is not blowing, then, then it's dangerous to do mila. So even Bismillah, we don't do mila if the north wind is blowing. If the north wind is not blowing. We don't follow this. The Gemara itself says, today we don't follow this practice. We, we blow regardless of north wind or not. We, we do mila regardless of north wind or not. The Gemara says, people routinely flout this recommendation. People routinely ignore it and just do mila anyway. We have a principle, Shomer Psoim Hashem, God washes, watches over the naive, the foolish, and it's, it's, it's okay. This itself is a major halachic principle, much, much debated. Because <coughs> I'll say in a handful of places that there are certain practices which are dangerous, which have uh, a risk that really we would say we would recommend against assuming. Nevertheless, if a practice is widespread and, 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 and commonly done and people don't care about the risk, so halacha condones it. Halacha says, Shomer Psalm Hashem. You're allowed to accept risk which society deems normal and acceptable. 
when, when the medical establishment began to prove and fully understand the, 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 the terrible danger of smoking, and all the different ways in which smoking is bad for you and kills you, so Poskin, beginning in the 60s and 70s, began to really, I think 60s and 70s was where most of the discussion began, began to debate whether, according to halacha, whether smoking is, tobacco smoking is prohibited or permitted. As the science got clearer and clearer, and as society became more and more accepting of the, the, accepting the fact that smoking is a, is a terrible, dangerous habit, Postkin became increasingly strict, and by today, many, many postkin will flat out say that someone who isn't already addicted, absolutely prohibited to smoke, it's, uh, it's, it's well beyond acceptable risks the terror allows, and so on. But back then, when, when the science was still coming out, and society hadn't quite assimilated it yet, and it was still, it was still considered normal to smoke, so post, postkin began to debate whether smoking was acceptable al and one of the key issues was, was this principle, Shomer B'Sayim Hashem, that halacha, halacha recognizes that there are certain relatively low-level dangers, which the danger is real, and it's recognized, and we, we understand scientifically. Again, I, I don't think we understand today this idea of the north wind, but be that as it may, the Gemara considered the lack of the north wind, the cloudy day, dangerous for, for surgery, for Mila. And another, it, was, it, was, it was probably a pretty low level of danger, and, the, and people tended to ignore it. If it would have been a huge, a huge risk, people probably wouldn't have been ignoring it quite so much, but it was, it was probably recognized as a fairly low level of danger, and people began to ignore it. And as I'll say, that, that if there is a relatively low level, an activity which has a relatively low level of danger, but it's widely practiced and people don't care so much about the danger, we have this principle of Shomer Psalm Hashem. So there were postkim who invoked this with regard to smoking as well and said that even if science says that smoking is dangerous, it's not that dangerous, they thought, and society still considers it a normal human activity, and therefore we can't forbid smoking. But again, as the science... Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. But, but again, as the science began to increasingly demonstrate with, increasingly, with increasing sharpness the, 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 grave, the, the grave danger and the, the evidence became overwhelming, and as society as a whole began to accept it and, and smoking became increasingly forbidden by law, became socially less common, less acceptable, postkin did become much stricter. Uh, that there are postkin today who say the halacha is that a witness at a, at a, at a gerishin and kedushin witness who were very strict, he has to be a Jew in good standing. Someone who's not observant can't be, uh, can't be a witness for a kedushin or a witness for a get. And uh, so people who don't keep, you know, don't keep kosher, don't keep Shabbos, can't, can't be chosen as a witness. There are some rabbis in Israel who have ruled that if a person smokes, he should not be used as an aid for getting and kedushin because by today the, the danger is so clear and the societal uh, rejection of smoking is, is, is again, different countries move at different levels. In France, you know, I think smoking was still more common than the U.S. and Israel. But there are postings who have said that by today, by the 21st century, the societal recognition of the dangers of smoking is, 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 is high enough that uh, someone who smokes is an avarian and, and shouldn't be uh, an aide. That's a still a bit of a radical position because smoking is still not totally banned and there still is there still are large numbers of people who smoke. So you can debate that, but uh, the halacha does move somewhat in tandem with the scientific and societal recognition of the dangers of smoking. When you, when you mentioned smoking, I remember in the early 1960s, I think it was 1963, I think it was the American Medical Association first announced that smoking was associated with lung cancer. So there was a news conference of a bunch of doctors, and while they were making this announcement, two of them were smoking. <laughs> there you go, right. There you I still go. remember seeing that on TV. 
Yeah, the smoking, yeah. smoking other, th- other things. Yeah, smoking other things. Other things. They were talking just about cigarettes, right? And again, the early the early things were lung cancer. Now they they, they consider it uh, a, a comorbidity for pretty much every time I go to a doctor. One of the questions is, do you smoke? And if so, your risk of this is three times as much or something. So. There's a great tshuva, one of my favorite tshuvas in, in the Debertina Rav. The Debertina was an old school conservative, traditionalist uh, rabbi in Brooklyn, in Barapar, but he was also, he also had a very healthy respect for science. So he actually has one of the, even though he was very much not an American, not an enlightened an American rabbi, he was an old, old world European rabbi, but he was, as I said, he had a very, he had a very, 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 he had a very solid respect for science, and he ruled relatively early on, I think late 60s, or certainly early 70s, he ruled that smoking was prohibited because the evidence was clear enough that it was dangerous and it was prohibited. So he's forced to grapple with this question. He says, but the great Sadiqim, the great Revis, he said they smoked. How could it be that they did this if it was that? You know, the simple answer is they simply didn't know. The science discovers new things. And like you said, even the doctors were smoking at the, at the press conference, so the, at the announcement. So the, but the Debertiner doesn't want to hear that they could have been doing something that we know today is such a terrible thing, such a, such a wrong thing to do. So he comes up with a variety of justifications. Like since they, they since they acted the Shem Shemayim, then God protected them, or since they, the, he, he has one theory that because of, because of the climate change, he says, he says the, the, air, the air is so much more polluted and foul today than it used to be because of industry, he says, people's lungs are degraded, he suggests, and just weaker, and they can't tolerate the tobacco smoke. I don't know about the science, I don't know how much scientific merit his suggestions have, but the point is, he, he recognized very clearly that we have to accept the science today, that smoking is terrible. And yet, he, he, he can't bring himself to say that the tzaddikim were, uh, were doing something terrible, so he tries to come up with all these, uh, with all these rationales for why it was, in general, we're, we're, we're not as strong as we used to be, but but, but he recognized early on that's the idea of Shomer Psalm Hashem that, the, that, that halacha sometimes allows certain, certain levels of low-grade danger where, where, where it's, it, it's very hard to define what's included something that society considers normal and is widely, is widely done even if objectively we think it's not a great idea in the early days of COVID, this, this would come up. That, that if there were, there were different questions about masking and distancing and so on, so everyone agrees. You know, when you have the plague going around and, you know, and, and, and there's a high risk and people are dra- people are dying by the thousand, you can't rely on Sharm Sam Hashem. But at some point, where the risk is where the risk is relatively low, and again, it depends partly on society's overall reaction. Masking and distancing were, you know, the society's reaction was very different in different communities. But. Uh, but uh, the, the word post can one argued that at some point that, that, that in a case where the danger was real but relatively low and, uh, and society as a whole had, you know, was, was, was willing to tolerate the risk that, that halacha could accept it as well based on the doctrine of Shomer Psalm Hashem. But, but that, that's this Gemara. The, the, this Gemara says that why didn't they, why didn't, so the, the Gemara basically, we're going to return to this uh, next week. Next, but there's a lot more to say about this. But, but in a nutshell, what the Gemara is saying here is, Psukim say they didn't do Mila the Midbar. Psukim don't say why. Four Psukim are mysteriously silent about why there was no Mila the Midbar. The Gemara takes for granted that it was because it was dangerous. They, they didn't do Mila because it was dangerous. Why was it dangerous? The Gemara brings two explanations. One is, one is a little more down to earth, that it was simply because of the rigors of the journey. And the other had to do with this wind, the absence of this wind, which is necessary for proper healing. Now, a key question which Tosis discusses, which we'll discuss more next time, believe that, a key question that uh, is, were they right or wrong? 
given that there was some element of danger, so we know obviously that when there is substantial danger, we said even even relatively low danger, but if it's significant, you push off the mila. Not everything is ground though pushing off a mila. Not you know, the, that the, the threshold is pretty low, but not everything. Not and not not literally anything at all is ground pushing off a mila. So, so we'll discuss we'll discuss in the in the future. Were the Jews actually correct or incorrect in pushing off the Mila? We're going to see that Shevet Levi, according to some statements of Chazal, did do Mila in the Midbar. And so that's going to be part of the question. If, if it was really dangerous, why did they do it? If it was not dangerous, what does the Gemara mean? So that's something we'll return to next time. But the basic position of the Gemara is that they didn't do Mila because it was dangerous. And the Gemara offers these two reasons for why it was dangerous, either because of the rigors of the journey or because of the absence of this salubrious north wind.